Hey humans, zeps equals misinformation. Misinformation's in capitals there. Uh, this is from a Twitter account uh, in the name of Mark Smith. Uh, the image is just uh, an American flag. Actually, it's an American flag with the stars in a circle uh, instead of in lines. Is that some old Confederate thing? Uh, anyway, uh, some kind of real American flag for real Americans, not the ones with this new pansy flag that has been starting since World War II, the real one. So Mark Smith is saying zaps equals misinformation. Furthermore, Mark writes, a big word for a guy with a Confederate flag uh, that may or may not be a Confederate flag. I'm just a, an, an odd flag, an American flag of some description. Furthermore, he writes, big word, uh, without a doubt, there are parent who have followed his advice, my advice, on COVID, on the COVID jabs, which have resulted in the death of their children. Uh, says Mark, let that sink in. Go ahead, libs. Fact check me, he writes. Uh, so he certainly owned me. And I'm getting a lot of this at the moment. My Twitter feed is nothing but uh, hate about how I was a peddler of misinformation and now I've been called out. Now I've been uh, proven to be on the wrong side of history because of my infamous moment with Joe Rogan. Uh, If you don't recall, earlier on this year, I was on Joe Rogan's podcast. I've been on seven times. Every time I'm on, we have some you know, a mild, agreeable disagreement about something because we see the world differently, but uh, we love each other nonetheless. This time it was about the risk of heart inflammation as a result of taking the vaccine, especially in young males. This is how that went. For young boys in particular, there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. It's like a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes. But you know what? Hospitalization. You know that there's an increased risk of myocarditis among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true. I don't No, No, no. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID that are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Well, let's look that up because I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's both. Myocarditis more common after COVID-19 infection than vaccination. But is this with children? Uh, yeah, we're talking about young people. Men and boys aged under 30 after this is what it says here. With, with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about 15-year-olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male so, yes, 12 to 17. 12 to 17, more likely to develop myocarditis within three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases Per million infection, this compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million at the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. Yeah, so you're about eight times likely to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that, that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like, when, even when we're reading these things, it's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the VAERS the report? But even from the VAERS reports, when they report this stuff, it's like, the amount of people that report the um, like it's the underreporting. So after that, the world exploded, and then there was a campaign against Joe Rogan, not directly as a cause of this, but I sort of got swept up in it when Neil Young wanted to has, have his music taken off Spotify, and people were saying Joe Rogan needed to be booted from Spotify, and he had to apologize, and all that, all that jazz. I think you remember that, unless you were living under a rock. Um, and as a result. I was persona non grata for a large swathe of people who thought that there had been COVID overreach because I was representative of the 
authoritative, mainstream, bootlicking, blind, sheeple attitude towards things instead of giving appropriate deference to, uh, shall we say, crackpots on the sidelines who were claiming things that didn't have any epidemiological or medical basis, like the idea that vaccines were riskier than getting COVID. Now, subsequently, there have been studies that raise questions about uh, whether or not COVID has the same impact on heart inflammation that we thought it did back then. And there's been more evidence about the validity of concerns about heart inflammation, particularly from the Moderna uh, vaccine. So, you know, a year has passed, almost a year, and so tons more data has come in. And most recently was an Israeli study. The Israeli study suggested that there was no increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis from getting COVID. Now, I never know what to make when I see on Twitter people with PhDs spreading one study because there have been so many different studies, but that would seem to indicate that the risk of getting heart inflammation from COVID is lower than we thought that it was. Um, Nonetheless, at the same time, heart.org, which is the official, like, heart health institute of the United States, uh, which gives people the official advice about heart attacks and strokes, the American Heart Association, I should say, has a piece from not that long ago, August 22nd, 2022, so still a lot of data was in, saying COVID-19 infection poses higher risk for myocarditis than vaccines. This is the official American Heart Association. The overall risk of myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, is substantially higher immediately after being infected with COVID-19 than it is in the weeks following vaccination for the coronavirus, a large new study in England shows. The detailed analysis of nearly 43 million people was published on Monday in the American Heart Association journal, Circulation. Um, Now, again, that's for the whole population. So the people who are attacking me on Twitter will no doubt say, yeah, but what if you just isolate it for, you know, like 15 to 25-year-old males? Then it may actually be worse for them to get uh, specifically a Moderna vaccine than just to catch COVID. Another person on the text line, hey, at Josh Seps, did you apologize to Joe Rogan yet? Remyocarditis from the vax? I bet you didn't. And uh, at Josh Zepps, writes Tom from sales, is out peddling more misinformation and propaganda. Unfortunately, he won't be available to comment. Well, here I am being available to comment. And uh, since everyone's asking for an apology for having owned Joe Rogan on the narrow point of myocarditis and vaccines, let me say this. If it turns out to be the case, that myocarditis among young people is caused at a greater degree by vaccines in general than by catching COVID-19, then I'm sorry for saying that, it, that that wasn't the case. I'm almost certain that's not the case, that we have not yet established that vaccines as a general group of drugs, COVID vaccines, and young people as an overall cohort, that using those two groups, that there is enough data to say that COVID-19 causes myocarditis at lower rates than vaccines do. But the more important qualification that I want to add here 
is how we ought to think about how we arrive at our beliefs. Because I'm happy to apologize for things I get wrong. I think that's the hallmark of an upstanding and good and intellectually curious person. But I'm also going to insist that I take pride in the means by which I arrive at my conclusions. And that anyone who has arrived at their conclusions unsoundly also needs to apologize, regardless of whether what they ended up believing turned out to be true. Let me explain. Anyone who's done Epistemology 101 in philosophy will be familiar with the term justified true belief as the basis of what we think knowledge is. A piece of knowledge is a justified true belief. It's not enough for it to be just a true belief. It's not enough for you to accidentally arrive at something that is true without having gone through sound, a sound process of reasoning to get there. If I just tell you that the periodic table of the elements is a certain way, but you don't know off the top of your head whether or not that's true, and you believe me as a random stranger in the street or as someone who's just blogging without any authority online, and you take that belief to the bank, you haven't done a good job of arriving at your beliefs. And I have no reason to give credence to everything else that you say just because you happened to be right through a random crapshoot about that one thing. You're not an intellectually serious person. You're not being rigorous. I try to be rigorous. What that means is that at each point in time, I'm going to take the best available evidence and I'm going to try to articulate that. And I'm going to be, try to be as measured as I can in taking in all the evidence, all the opinions of people who know more than I do, and then trying to give credence to those propositions that I regard as being the most plausible. Is that going to always make me right? Of course not. I'll be wrong about many things, but I want to be wrong about them for the right reasons. I want to be wrong about them because at the time I was justified in believing them. So if it turns out to be the case that I was wrong about myocarditis and vaccines, which I don't think it yet is, then I am sorry for saying that. And I'm proud of the fact that I said it. And if you could run a tape of time again and put me back in that situation, I would defiantly say it again. Because I was believing the right thing based on the available evidence. If you disagreed with me at the time, and it turns out that you were right, on what basis were you disagreeing with me? You were disagreeing with me because you're a fucking idiot who'd read something online and you wanted to spread misinformation about vaccines. You disagreed with me because you wanted to make sure that people whose lives might be saved by vaccines, that people who might help each other to get out of a raging pandemic, were suspicious, needlessly suspicious, of the health consequences of a safe drug because you didn't want them to take it. So you were complicit in spreading misinformation regardless of whether or not the misinformation turned out to be true. Science is a process. Knowledge is a process. At each way station along our walk, our march towards greater information, towards greater understanding and greater knowledge, 
At each way station, there will be occasions on which we get things wrong. But the solution to inadequate information is more information and better reasoning. It's not worse reasoning and Googling something online and then clinging to that belief in the hope that it will end up being vindicated by the facts, but believing in it even before the facts were on your side. So I don't, frankly don't give a fuck whether or not you were right or I was right or Joe was right or whether you want me to apologize on Twitter. If I was wrong about something, then I'm sorry for being wrong about it. And if I was wrong because I was arriving at that conclusion for sound reasons, then I'm proud of having arrived at that con- conclusion and I would absolutely 100% do it again. In addition to justified true beliefs, There are unjustified true beliefs. I just sort of said, like, if I just randomly told you something about the periodic table, the elements, and you believed me for no reason other than that I have a blog, that would not be a good reason to believe it. Another analogy you'll sometimes find in philosophy class is, suppose that a a genie comes to you to grant you a wish or some supernatural being and says, "Here's here's what I'm offering you. Over the next year, You can acquire a lot of true beliefs about all kinds of topics that are important and interesting, but you'll acquire them for unjustified and completely fallacious reasons. And you will abide by those beliefs. You will defend them quite firmly, even though you have no good reason for believing them. And they will not really be knowledge in any meaningful sense because you'll have unsound reasons for believing in them. And as soon as you take this wish on, you'll forget that I ever gave you this wish you'll forget that this ever happened. And you will go through the next year arriving for all kinds of stupid reasons at conclusions that are accidentally correct. And you won't know why, but you'll be right. Would you take it? Would you want to accept the offer to acquire a lot of new knowledge that will turn out to be true if the reasons why you're believing those things are total bullshit? It's an interesting thought experiment. You would be taking on a lot of unjustified true beliefs. In this chaotic world of knowledge where it's hard to make sense of what's right and wrong and there's a lot of skepticism towards institutions, there's another class of belief, or should I say disbelief to be more accurate, which is not the unjustified true belief, the thing that you just happen to be right about, like, for example, that vaccines cause myocarditis at higher rates than COVID-19, or rather that a specific vaccine among a specific cohort of males of a specific age does. But there's also, in addition to unjustified true beliefs, unjustified true disbeliefs. So these are examples of popular skepticism towards things that people are mistaken about. A good example might be genetically modified organisms. There is widespread skepticism towards the safety of genetically modified organisms. GMOs are safe, but we, the EU, for example, has banned genetically modified crops. That harms Europeans. It harms the people who need GMOs the most, which are African farmers. At one point, Zambia, and it's not the only country, refused food aid in the middle of a famine because it was genetically modified and the president thought that was poison. 
So there's this sort of cheap skepticism that filters down through blogs and the internet and whatever, whatever else, superstition, to people who don't know what to do with it and they just end up in a horrible mess. Another example of an unjustified disbelief might be skepticism towards evolution, skepticism towards vaccination, skepticism about genetics, skepticism about nuclear energy. A lot of the opposition to nuclear energy is not founded on science. It's founded on unjustified, untrue (laughs) disbeliefs. And we are at risk at the moment of combining this weird tendency toward to disbelieving official organs of knowledge, like academics and universities and health departments, and combining that with a sort of credulity, a real gullibility, towards other sources of information that we might see online or on Twitter. And this just brings me to my final point, which is about the big picture of something like a public health crisis, like a pandemic. The big mistakes that were made during, I mean, look, let me also add, although I don't feel any shame about uh, if I was wrong about myocarditis, about being wrong about it at the time, because I think I, I got, I arrived at it for the right reasons. I know I did. There is one area where I do feel shame uh, about the pandemic. Uh, And that has to do with the effect that vaccines had on the transmissibility of the virus. All of the lockdowns, all of the vaccine mandates, all of the scanning of QR codes that we put up with in Australia, indeed, really all of the mandatory isolation and the lockdowns and so on, certainly all of the masking of kids and the closing of schools that took place largely, thankfully, not in Australia, but much more uh, predominantly in the United States, that was all predicated on the idea that once we got vaccinated, we would be able to protect other people, that the virus would not be infectious. Now, there's a lot of misinformation about saying, oh, the vaccines don't do anything to uh, to prevent transmission. They do. They reduce transmission. Um, you know, seatbelts don't eradicate uh, your risk of dying in a car accident. They minimize it. Um, there are all kinds of health protections that we do that don't eliminate our risks. Uh, you know, eating more fiber uh, doesn't eliminate your risk of bowel cancer, but it does reduce it. And similarly, uh, being vaccinated does reduce the transmissibility of the virus. Uh, but it is by no means the panacea that we had been led to believe that it was at the beginning. And I should have been more rigorous about that. That's my big regret from the pandemic. I should have been more critically, uh, critically curious. I didn't separate in my head the I sort of took it as on good faith that public health officials were saying that the vaccine pretty much eliminates the risk of death and severe disease. And therefore, I thought that it probably dramatically reduced transmission. And I didn't really spend the time to clearly articulate for myself on what grounds we were justifying lockdowns and QR codes and contact tracing and all that. Because if vaccines didn't play a big role in reducing transmission, then all of that stuff should have ended much earlier. And the only question should have been about hospital capacity and giving people an opportunity to get vaccinated, but not coercing them into getting vaccinated, because then it becomes a matter of personal choice. If the vaccines aren't really doing much to stop your, the risk that you pose to other people, then you really do have to fall back on a fairly libertarian point of view about vaccination and just say, look, you're not really harming anybody else by being unvaccinated. 
not to such a degree that it's worth deranging our entire society and locking us all up for hundreds of days. Right. I mean, so that's my big regret during that. That's my, that's my true mea culpa because that was not just me arriving at a potentially untrue belief as a result of good reasoning. That was actually a failure of reasoning in a fa- my failure to think through clearly. Okay. If, how do we know that the vaccine is as effective at reducing transmission as they're saying it is? I've only seen the data about reducing the risk of death and severe disease. I haven't seen data about transmission. And then making the second uh, logical leap of if it's not true that it has a big impact on transmission, if it's only reducing maybe by twice or three times, but not by like you know 99%, the risk of transmission, then does all, do all of these other restrictions that we're imposing on people to try to reduce the spread of the pandemic make any sense? And do we have to dramatically curtail the amount of the impositions that we're imposing on people's lives? So that's my genuine mea culpa about COVID. Um, but coming back to the bigger question of the sort of context in which these debates were happening, when I was sitting there in front of Joe Rogan and we were arguing about myocarditis, and vaccines. We were still in the midst of a very severe and traumatizing global public health crisis, traumatizing both because of the virus itself and the consequences that it was having on people, the million people it had killed in America alone, and also because of all of the policies, the scrambling policies that various countries had imposed to try to deal with it. And my general attitude throughout the pandemic was it's extremely important that we minimize all of the health risks that come from this virus. We know that a highly effective way of doing that is through vaccines. And The mission to try to pick apart every single little thing that could be wrong with vaccines on the fly while we're in the middle of a sprint to try to get on top of this thing seemed a little bit persnickety and badly motivated. COVID-19 causes a very mysterious range of knock-on effects on your body. Now, for most people, especially vaccinated people, those effects are mild. For a minority of people, they're reasonably severe and peculiar. And for a minority of a minority, they ruin their lives for quite a long time. And people have these sort of mysterious symptoms that are almost reminiscent of Lyme disease or something, where you have this ongoing fatigue, you have ongoing lung problems, you have ongoing cognitive problems where you can't focus and so on. Uh, it deranges your system. It's a new virus. Our bodies don't know what to do with it, and it causes inflammation everywhere, including sometimes in the heart. And when you give this new flu, even if it's a mild flu, to billions of people who've never had it and whose immune systems have never seen anything like it, it shows up in weird ways that are fine for most people and really awful for some. And in the context of that, to hunt down fringe examples of specific ways in which one vaccine can cause one problem for one cohort of people just seemed like, bro, give it a fucking rest. You know what I mean? It's like, 
This is why I haven't engaged with this whole myocarditis thing ever since and why I just let the Twitter hate just wash over me because I'm like, get a life, really. We're talking about extremely rare events. We're talking about a pandemic where we know that the virus itself, in rare cases, causes really fucked up examples of inflammation all over the body. So you're telling me that you've found some little Israeli study that shows that there were like heart inflammation incidents in 22-year-old males as a result of getting this one vaccine? Well, great. It's good that we know that. Now maybe I won't get a fourth jab. Now the authorities can take that into account in their recommendations. I mean, what's even more bizarre is that this has now been taken into account by official health bodies, including in Australia, and it's being used by the conspiracy theorists as evidence of the secret ploy to hide the side effects of vaccines. Like it's literally, I'm literally seeing it being tweeted by vaccine skeptics, a piece on the news in Australia that is saying that people under the age of, so people under the age of 30 are now not advised to get a fourth uh, Moderna jab in Australia because of myocarditis. And a a conspiracy theory website, or rather a pro-conspiracy theory like anti-COVID website, has tweeted out saying, ah, but it was just a conspiracy theory and like the insanity continues in Australia. I'm reading this off uh, Twitter. After mandating the vaccine on every Australian worker in 2021, the government says it will advise under 30s not to take the fourth due to increased events of myocarditis. Um, Too late for the unfortunate coincidences who were told it was safe and effective. Look, again, this is how science works. Like we gather enough data we go, okay, the upsides of getting a fourth jab if you're under the age of 30 to protect you against COVID are less than the downsides of the risk of myocarditis, so don't get it. Fine. What does that prove? That proves that the system of science basically is functioning and that the authorities are fundamentally basically responsive to data. They're not hiding it. There's now enough data to say that in that particular cohort, this particular vaccine causes more problems than it solves. I'm sorry that we didn't have all of that data initially, and you weren't a genius for having feared that initially and not gotten the jab when you didn't have any good reasons to believe that. And you probably weren't in that cohort anyway, and you probably weren't taking that vaccine. And you probably weren't triple jabbed. So my attitude was, we know that we're in a massive pandemic, We know that this virus causes inflammation all over the body, not just in the heart. We know that it has knock-on effects for your your immune system, for your brain, for all kinds of systems in your body. So, like, it's a sort of an academic question if you want to tease out this one data point and say, could it be the case that this one effect that, that this one vaccine can have on this one group of people might be more severe from the vaccine than this one effect is from COVID? Well, okay, I don't know. I mean, at the time, that didn't seem to be the case. At the time, based on the information we had, that didn't seem to be the case. If that is the case, then I'm sorry that I got that wrong. And as I say, I'm proud of the reasoning that went into why I believed that. And also, on top of that, shut the fuck up because we were in the middle of a pandemic and that one data point about that one illness should not have been decisive as to whether or not to broadly put forth a pro-vaccine or an anti-vaccine case.
So I hope that explains some of my thinking about thinking. In other words, the conclusion doesn't really matter. Whether or not you arrive at conclusions in a rational and reasonable and well-informed way does. I did that. I'm proud of the fact that I did it. I'm closing the chapter on this. I'm done. We good? We good? Oh, what's that, shithead44? We're still not good? You want another apology? No, fuck off. See you next week. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.